Hi, everyone. This is Designing Futures Podcast. You're listening to me, Angela Yeh from Yeh Ideology. I'm so excited for this episode because we will be having two amazing guests join us and guide us in understanding a piece of the industry that deals with a higher form of design. There are These are two creative leaders and professionals who have a great deal of experience in design exploration and applying that knowledge to their practice. I would like to welcome Virgil Callahessen from Anderl Industries and Phnom Bagley of Nonfiction Design. Welcome Virgil and Phnom. Thank you. Hi. Excited for you guys to share your history, your journey, and just the spaces that you guys have really owned and moved through in this industry, in the you know, world of design, strategy, and innovation. Um, I thought it might be good for us to just start with a quick overview of where each of you have been, you know, and kind of an overview of where you are now, uh, so that we can just give everybody an, a sense of where the knowledge is coming from. Virgil, I know you were, um, your history, you were English major at Yale University, you know, just you want to, can you walk us through kind of where you came from, from all the way from literature to, to where you are <laughs> today? I, uh, I wrote this down once in a timeline. It's something like 20, nearing 30 different jobs, if you count the little ones in between. So I won't go into that level of detail, but the English major thing led to an interest in people. Uh, my first couple jobs out of uh, college, and there's, I won't list them all, but it was mainly in hospitality. So I was interested in guest service of some kind. Mm. Um, what led me to design was this desire to more directly affect the guest experience that I was working on. I couldn't actually change the things that they had as part of their experience. So I wanted to design the actual products. So I studied industrial design. Um, I did some design with a design consultancy out in Pittsburgh. I found that aerospace products were really interesting to me. I started gravitating towards that. I worked at a spacesuit company for a little bit, but then I real I got an offer to work at SpaceX because of that connection. But in order for me to earn my keep there, I had to contribute to the software org, and mm -hmm. so I pivoted from you know my design, expressing my design output in physical to digital, and so I was there for four and a half years at SpaceX, and then I'm working at Anderol now, and also part of the software product team. What a we're, we're going to dive into this a little bit later. I mean, if you think about all, you talk about, I don't know, nine different or beyond that, different industries of expertise that you just quickly moved into that space, you know, paved your way, didn't have to start all over again, that type of thing. It's fascinating. Um, Phnom, can you share with us your background and love the space that you cover? Talk about uh, your name and, you know, the space of being in that future pacing world how you moved into that consulting work. Yeah, um, it's there was a lot of serendipity happening in my life. So I was born and raised in France. And as a kid, I wanted to be two things, an astrophysicist and an artist at the same time. I was always very aware of the fact that I've always been very technical, but also very artistic. Um, and I didn't know what industrial design was until maybe a month before I started design school. Uh, so, um, the way I found that was that a, a, a job fair where the school that I eventually went to had, had, you know, an exhibition there. And, um, so, so, you know, when I went to high school and all that, I was very focused on, you know, math and physics, very nerdy. Uh, I had no haircut, thick glasses, you know, the whole thing. And, um, when I arrived in design school, I started blossoming. Uh, I found a way to express both sides of my brain, if you want to call it like that. And um, as I said, serendipitously, on, on my third year, the school starts a department in space design. So space architecture, space design, um, um, you know, thinking about how to solve problems in microgravity and partial gravity. And so, of course, I sign up and... Um, and of course, my thesis was about living on Mars and things, things like that. After that, I was uh, invited to study at the University of Houston uh, about 15, 16 years ago. 
And, um, and so I moved to the US from France uh, one week before Hurricane Katrina uh, hits New Orleans. That was an interesting welcome. Um, and, and studied uh, space architecture uh, under the guidance of uh, uh, Professor Larry Bells and Olga uh, Banova. And uh, there I was exposed to a lot more systems engineering, um, life support systems and things of the sort. But still, um, the work that we were doing was very, um, very, very technical, which, which I enjoyed, but sort of devoid of design and user experience and the human aspect of going to space. At the time, we we're still thinking about space very much like we thought about it in the 60s or, or prior, which is how do we survive on the way up and how do we survive on the way down, right? Which is, of course, important, but... To me, living up in space for a long ex ex extended amount of times, thriving in an environment that is literally not designed for you uh, was, was an interesting challenge. But in order to get there, I knew that staying in the field of space architecture in the early 2000s was not the place. So I quit that career and um, started a career in industrial design. I did that for about 12 years um, before I started my own company, Nonfiction, which is a design firm that turned science fiction into reality for a better future. And then a couple of years ago, I'm like, okay, now we are ready to merge the world of space with the world of design. And since then, it's been project after project after project of solving all the problems, psychological problems, physical problems, healthcare problems, food problems, uh, that really overlap the human, especially the imperfection of humans in space with the extreme environment uh, that, that is put in front of us. So uh, it's been so incredibly exciting to, to, to be on this trajectory and I cannot wait for next year. I love your, talk about being in a space or <clears throat> in that aerospace tech category kind of before the industry was ready for you, right? Um, in the sense that when you talked about how it was not design and user experience wasn't weren't even topics of consideration because I think at that point it's I think um, aerospace was it purely engineering based right it's just get out there and then the realization spin forward to today where the industry is caught up in realizing that this is all designed for humans the imperfectness of humans to get out into space. Interesting. I think this has been accelerated a lot by, um, by the types of people who are setting up in space. I mean, for, the long, for a long time, there were people who, who had what we used to call the right stuff. You know, mm -hmm. can you survive, you know, 5G and, you know, and, and like, as if nothing was happening? Can you, um, um, can you live in like isolated uh, environments for a very, very long periods of time? Um, you know, people are trained for a long time, selected at the highest level, can do that. But space is welcoming more and more people, right? Now we're talking about tourists. We're talking about uh, people who in the near future will be there mm -hmm. um, with different types of jobs that we don't even have names for quite yet. So, so it's accelerating. I, I believe that in our lifetime, we'll be able to go to space ourselves, right? Um, some people don't really believe in that, but uh, <laughs> debatable. But, um, but, you know, we can't expect people to, um, to go to space the same way highly trained astronauts go to space because it might sound glamorous from the outside, you know, putting astronauts on your resume is cool, but, but what it does to your body, what it does to your mind, what it does to the, 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 the long-term effects of space is so incredibly dangerous um, for, for us. Um, and, and the glamorization of space is kind of like hiding that reality a little bit. Something that uh, jumps out to me uh, while you were speaking, Phnom, was that uh, a lot of industries, we use the term like, oh, there's a whole bunch of low-hanging fruit. Let's go after that. Let's throw design and engineering at that. What's funny about space, and maybe it is due to our imperfection, or maybe space is imperfection, um, <laughs> is that uh, it's not low-hanging fruit. It's like preliminary hurdles more than that. You know, escaping the gravity well to actually get into space, moving squishy water blobs up through that many G-forces and then surviving um, the heat, the movement, the temp you know, um, potential radiation, all the different things we have up there. And I think 
because of decades of that kind of work and then the audacity within those decades that actually think we can do it, then we're arriving at a place where maybe we could begin thinking about some of the other like quote unquote easier things. I wouldn't call them easier, but like um, hurdles behind the preliminary hurdles of well, what about less trained people? What about people who have different expectations and different psychologies and different physical uh, compositions than uh, the original white stuff? Um, and, and I think that's what makes this really interesting is that is it the industry being ready or it's like has it matured to the point where like now these things are on the table when they're previously waiting very far away um that's where what i find most exciting that that level of accessibility how how virgil you you know you've worked it in these companies in the aerospace industry spacex but what where is the value for design user experience at that point, at this point right now? I feel like it's still nascent, right? Or just beginning to realize how critical it is. And is it just for the human need or are they realizing it in every way that they're building any aspect of, you know, I know depending on what you can talk about, but. I think design has always like universally been applicable just whatever word you want to put on top of it oh human factors uh you know engineering life survival you know um survival systems uh, life support that kind of thing and, and today life support might just be being able to get your coffee out of the automated system on starship but it's still survival it's still um human computer interface like the raw foundation and application has always been there i think everyone's constantly giving a new name to it so that people in the industry can latch on to something and say, oh, I need that. I need that. Oh, I have this problem. Okay, let me get some of that. And um, so I would say, where does design fit in? It's wherever you can either A, make it fit in, or B, someone has thought that it begins to fit in, and now they put a job mm -hmm. title up for it and a job rec and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, something that has served me well in my career, I think my career is a bit of a grassroots campaign, is uh, being in the right place at the right time just being in the building. So when someone says some word, give me some whiff that like, oh, I can help on that, I'm there. Um, Cause that preliminary hurdle of just being in the room, being at the table, being in the conversation, uh, hugely challenging. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this phenomenon like in, in getting nonfiction put into the right places. Um, I, I imagine a lot of your, your work in the years past have moved you into those conversations. Um, but that's my- yeah. Absolutely. And also we, we didn't get into the space industry in, in the most traditional ways like you, right? Uh, we didn't go through STEM first, which is the low hanging fruit of how you get into the space industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we got through it um, around, around the medical industry, you know, what happens mm -hmm. to the body mm -hmm. biologically over time when you're exposed to high levels of radiation, microgravity and, and stress. Uh, we got through it um, uh, by way of competitions, uh, which we seem to win a lot, which is nice. <laughs> and um, we, um, we also have a completely unique point of view. Every time I speak at a space conference, uh, very often people come, come to me afterwards and say, this, this stands out like a sore thumb in this entire conference. Everybody's talking about you know, this kind of the same stuff, propulsion, uh, you know, rovers and, and, and things like this. And you are talking about color and space, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and the psychology behind it, because to me, as a designer, everything is connected. You can't talk about design without talking about the technology um, uh, behind it. You can't talk about uh, science in a way that connects with non-scientists. You have to inject business. You have to think about arts um, because that's where emotions are triggered. Um, and really that link between all of these disciplines that seemingly sh should not talk to each other is how we can enrich industries like the space industry. I have a question for you both. Design is the core of your education. Well, one, you know, for the core of your education, it, it's, what allows you to solve problems in a different way than others. Um, I've seen design go into different places where the language of design does not exist to your customer. So I, you know, to your point, I heard Virgil, you saying, you know, in space 
the world of uh, you know aerospace, they don't call it design, they call it human factors or they call it engineering, life survival, uh, survival systems, right? And I'm in Phnom, when you're speaking at these conferences, I think there's a, I wonder if there's a balance that you both have to play on, you know, here we have this conversation amongst creatives and change agents in this world. We, we have the same language, but when you're going out there to speak to a certain customer, how far do you learn to articulate this in their language, right? Engineering, sciences, um, aeronautics versus when do you start to imbue that use experience, design strategy, like that kind of innovation language? How do you, when do you, you know, there's that point of first it's education, awareness that they need your gift and your ability, you know what I mean? To then realize they need your expertise to solve their problem. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> my engineering peers would say that sometimes you have to put in a translation layer, um, right. you know, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And what I'm saying there is I don't care what you want me to call it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if whatever gets it uh, on the project, you know, whatever gets it funded, whatever gets uh, whatever words I need to use to make it connect with my peers and stakeholders. Um, that's what I'm willing to do. Um, because I think something about being like a social chameleon, that's a phrase my friends and I uh, use in our like just being out and about, uh, that ability to connect with others and have them see you as a peer and as uh, someone who's familiar is one way to get past the hurdles of like, why are, you, why are we even having this conversation? What does design have to do with engineering? Uh, you know, what does color have to do with you know, hardware and space kind of thing? And that's my first step is, this, is, to, is to bypass, is to get through that translation there. I think a skill that we have to have as kind of pioneers of design in, in the world of space and in the context in which we're living in right now is flexibility. We have to have the flexibility of getting technical when we need to get technical, getting very human when we need to get that there and, and, and you know, uh, supporting everything that we say with either a, a methodology or, or science, right? And, um, and that fluidity is, is something that people catch on when, when they're, they're in front of us because it's not something they see very often. There's a lot of siloed disciplines um, in the space industry, right? Even within, um, um, you know, uh, disciplines that, that, that should talk to each other. Like, like I talk to a roboticist differently than I talk to a life systems, you know, life support system person. They're both engineers, but you know, they, they just have different priorities. And really being a good listener, as well as someone who's, who knows how to push ideas a little bit farther is, is so incredibly important. In the end, you realize that everyone's human, right? And, and all humans, um, react to certain things, right? Uh, when you start talking about culture, when you start talking about the basic needs of us um, as, as a species, um, that might be a wonderful way to connect with people, even, even though everybody's priorities are different um, uh, during their workday, uh, we still need connection. We still need uh, things to function. We still need to do a great job every day. And and that's perhaps where you start. And this cannot happen if you don't have a mastery of storytelling. So storytelling is the ability to, you know, answer the questions of what, who, where, why, et cetera, um, in a way that is understandable and relatable to a person in front of you. So if you have an audience of kids versus an audience of PhDs versus an audience of, you know, people with disabilities, for example, you really have to craft your story in a way that connects with each of these groups. And, and, and when storytelling is a dialogue between the audience and you or between uh, the people debating a solution to a problem and yourself, it's, 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 it can be very, very exciting, right? And I think excitement is very interesting too because I mean, I've been in plenty of meetings or conferences where I was like, I'm bored. Like, why are we talking about this? Um, I, I want to get out of this room. This is awful. Whereas, you know, when you're a designer, when you're creative, you can be that person who reignites the fire behind a conversation, the why we're even having this conversation and, and how we can take this very dull, 
problem and turning into a wonderful innovation. I love that point. It, bringing them along through that storytelling, connecting to them in that way, right? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think it's going, you know, in being in this space uh, right now in this category, what's the trend going on now, you know, with every, with all these, uh, the competition to get into space? Is there a resurgence all of a sudden again? And and how is this industry then growing as a result? And, and Phnom, you were talking about also different customers. How about the people who are, you know, who are the buyers or the different stakeholders who are really funding this? And, and Berger, you see it from the industry side too. How is this industry changing and growing? Is there a resurgence going on? Is there room for designers, creatives, strategists in here now? Or are we still, are you guys still pioneering? I think we're going to pioneer for a long time, right? Pioneering is not necessarily about being the first because, you know, the first happened before all of us were born. Uh, and um, yeah. it's, it's, it's really having a pulse, a hand on the pulse of how things are evolving, right? Right now, rocketry is, is, is what the money is. Energy is going to come, you know, after that, uh, access to, to the internet. Um, and space tourism is developing, you know, shortly and slowly, um, but short, uh, slowly but surely. Um, and also, you know, all these future missions we've been talking about for so long, going back to the moon, settling on the moon, going to Mars, going beyond, you know, going after asteroids, what does that mean? Uh, human versus robotic, robotic missions. Why, why should we go with one versus the other? Also uh, construction methods um, for architecture using local materials so you don't have to lift off everything from earth. Um, so all of that is so incredibly exciting and there's so much investment happening in the world of space right now, public sector, um, uh, private sector, et cetera. So um, one thing that's, that to be aware of is yes, a lot of things are happening in space, but a lot of things are also brought back from space to, 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 to planet earth, right? When you, when you think of a lot of, a lot of space companies and space agencies, you have to understand that their goal is not to, to, to just like plant a flag on like some celestial body. I mean, that's important too, but in order to plant that flag, you have to develop a lot of technical innovations in material science and, you know, in experimentation and what's happening to the human body, healthcare, all that stuff. Mm. And all of that innovation is brought back to earth, transform one way to another into commercial uh, ventures. And then you can, you, you can make money from there. Right. Um, so, so it's so incredibly exciting to be in the space industry in a time right now, because the news is constant. There's something new, exciting, um, wonderful, long-term that's happening every couple of days. And, uh, and it's really fun to be in it. Something that I'm suddenly reminded of, I have a design professor named Justin Adleff. I was mentioning his name to you, Phnom. He talks a lot about connecting the dots. Um, and that's something that we as designers are pretty skilled at, connecting the dots, seeing the dots in the first place and then making those connections. And I think that's something that we can bring to any of these conversations, like where is design needed? probably where connections are needed. Um, and one of those connections is like, why does space matter? Why does space matter to me in the industry? Why does it matter to somebody completely unrelated? Like, well, you're gonna have a better jacket. Your shoes are gonna last longer. Your car is gonna drive longer. You're gonna have energy that comes cheaper and more abundantly. Ah, that's why you wanna invest in it. And then the money, okay, that's how you get something moving forward. A bunch of money, uh, you know, motivated uh, folks that say, whatever you wanna do, is it gonna make me a B? or a G, like what number is it? And, and that's, you know, connecting those various thoughts, the political reason, the aspirational reason, the economic reason, the technical capabilities, and then the, the, the hearts and minds of the people that need to vote this into existence or bypassing them if you're a billionaire. Um, but those dots are really important to connect. And I think design leverages its incredible tool set quite well in the spaces in between. Um, being that glue. And, and I think that's something where it's like, if you think you can be glue, if you know you can be glue, then you can, to your question, Angela, you can work anywhere. Um, yeah. Now, when that scenario actually happens, that's a question. Like, you know, maybe today it's over at SpaceX and tomorrow it's over at, you know, Blue Origin or it's at some other company that never thought to go to space, but suddenly they want to because 
there's better resources out there. Like, so a mm-hmm. mining company with trillions of dollars of, of you know, capability. Who knows? I love how this, you know, has inspired so much, all that technology, all that research gets, you know, reapplied here in, in modern day society, right? Versus just um, in outer space, that type of futuristic application. You know, it, it occurs to me that this kind of category Design understands iteration. Iteration is making mistakes again and reevaluating to the point that you're truly iterating and advancing, right? And, and you know, in a lot of traditional business models, making mistakes is a, it's, it's you know, businesses can't stomach it. It's all about repetition, finding the, the method that works and then reapplying it again and again. That is business success to some degree, diluted down, right? So, but in the space, in this category, um, I keep, you know, we're talking about outer space, so I can't stop saying the word space. I can think of another word. But when you're in this category, are the businesses, are the um, companies, are the professionals in this category aware that you have to go through lots of research, make mistakes, find out what doesn't work to finally find the method that does? Is that awareness there? Or, you know what I mean? The awareness to, Let's come up with a solution. This didn't work. This, you know, creating this kind of shelling um, component doesn't work. Let's find a different method. Do you guys find that whether you're a consultant phenom or whether you're in a Virgil on the inside working at these different companies? From the perspective of a designer, there's always a lot of education happening (laughs) when we're talking to Mm -hmm. non-designer. And and it's actually a a good reminder for us to, to find a common level um, to, to have a conversation on, right? And so sharing our methodologies and also exploring new methodologies. Because let's, let's remind ourselves that no environment on earth can replicate space as of today, right? You can be bombarded by a bunch of like cosmic radiation, but you're not going to experience microgravity at the same time or, or you know, isolation uh, at the same time, right? It's, it's usually like two or three things at a time, but not, not the, the, the extreme, the, the extreme environment of space. Mm. And so because of that, user testing or testing of everything is so primordial. And engineers have to do a lot of that already. So it's not like it's something new to the space industry. You don't build something and then, you know, spend millions and billions of dollars, like shooting it up there and wishing for the best. Uh, there's um, there's a lot of tests going on with um, with the design, with material science, with um, integration of different systems, and um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. I mean, every thing that you see up there, the the, the ISS rovers that on on Mars or or anything else have duplicates because we have to learn again and again how these things react in different environments so we can design the next one better. And, um, and there's, when it comes to like the human side, there's uh, a practice that's been around for a long time called analog astronaut missions. So basically is putting actual humans who signed up for that in, in very isolated environments and putting them in more or less stressful situations for, for extended amount of times, right? You can have them live in a desert for like three months at a time or in Antarctica for an entire year, um, having them you know, drink recycled pee and, um, and, and you know, all that stuff. It's, it's pretty extreme, right? Wow. Um, I think it's NASA <laughs> who like put out a, um, a mission. They wanna isolate a number of people for three years. Um, yeah. Three years? Three years, because that's that's pretty much how long it's going to be to go to Mars and, and come back. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty extreme. <laughs> and talk about the storytelling to elicit and recruit someone who's going to be so like, let me be the test pilot to live in isolation for three years and see how drinking recycled pee my my pee is going to help the you know human. Civilization, fascinating. Wow. I want to go somewhere else where, so that's just one, you know, frontier that you guys are playing in. But I know you two are constantly into new spaces, new, you know, what's your, what are your other new frontiers that you're fascinated about? I know you guys 
or just coming, you know, phenomenal. You just came back to it and you're like, okay, they're ready for me now. <laughs> and Virgil, you just keep iterating so fast. You know, where are you now? Where, Virgil, where, um, what are you fascinated in working on now? You know? Someone in a different industry was talking to me about how there's a new breed of restaurant startups that are trying to bring healthy food to food deserts. So food deserts was this term. I like that term. Um, so <laughs> I like bringing uh, tech and design to technology deserts. And so it's sad to say, but um, uh, in a large sense, people talk about this all the time, that the current um, government military space could use some injection of, of, of newer perspectives and new technologies and new ways of doing things. Um, traditional models have worked, but uh, the landscape's changed quite a bit. And, and so I get a great rush, uh, you know, from, from going into those spaces where it's like traditionally they just, they need, the bar is low. It needs some help. I mean, a couple of years ago, I filled out uh, some required paperwork for the government on, um, on Internet Explorer because uh, it was secured and you had, I, it was so, the version they required was so old. I had to find an old computer with an old Windows operating system so I can install an old version of Internet Explorer so I can submit a form that detailed brand new innovation technology. And it's like, what a, what a funny juxtaposition. Um, this is the greatest thing you ever had. Hold on, let me go back 30 years and tell you about it. Um, so I'm, I'm exaggerating. and I don't mean to be critical of that space, but there's, what that means is there's opportunity. And, and I like that opportunity. It gets me, um, it, it intrigues me. And I feel like we can hit the ground running and, and make a lot of impact. I begin to get a little bit bored when it flattens off and they're like, yeah, yeah, we've heard about you before. Like, we know what you're doing. Okay, sure. Here's a bone. Chew on for a bit. Like, that's less exciting. Oh my gosh. Talk about government. I mean, we had a series, Designing Futures, where it was all about designing government. And it's fascinating that a category that people think is boring. So how many, you know, how much is being done there to change and, and advance that category? Yeah, when it comes to the subject of government, it helps when a government knows what the internet is. Um, <laughs> um, so we're, we're currently working with a government in Singapore and the average age of a government worker there is 35 years old. So they all know what the internet is thoroughly. And the conversations we have with them is so incredibly different from the ones we have with US government um, because of that, right? They're ability to see far in the future and to understand the benefits mm. of design, of our methodologies, uh, of the way we link different disciplines and different ways of building things is, is light years ahead, right? We're not fighting over things that should be the status quo. We uh, use language that is common and we, we speak transparently about hard subjects, right? For example, sustainability, I don't know how marketing has found a way to make that sexy, but sustainability is extremely unsexy. It's extremely um, difficult, you know, convoluted. Um, is it, I can't think of anything more complex than that. It's, it's trying to replicate something as complex as nature, basically. Um, and so, so what is the place of humans in these places run by governments? Um, really coming back to the philosophy behind it um, and, and how we can build the foundation of a future of us that is healthy, healthy as a country, healthy as a region, healthy as an individual and healthy um, for, for the next generations. Is that where you, in Phnom, for you, is that, is that a new kind of territory or a fascination? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's something actually we've been working uh, on a lot over the last three, four years, um, you know, designing the foundation of the future of education that actually supports humans rather than, you know, try to try to fit a bunch of square shapes into round shapes and and not really caring for whoever doesn't fit in, and um, and and as a natural transition, how does that in, what kind of implication does that have on the future of smart cities, right? Cities that work for us instead of working against us. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I like to talk a lot about the future of humans as well, because as we're talking, as we're injecting all of these new 
technologies in our lives, we are changing ourselves, we're changing our brains, we're changing our relationship to each other, we're changing um, societies. And, um, you know, because the subject of today is about space, you know, what's, what is it going to do to humans to live in gravities we've never lived in before? Uh, what does that mean to reproduce in space when we can do it? As of now, we can't. Um, what does that mean to create civilizations that are not started on Mother Earth? What does that mean to be away from nature the way we understand nature today, right? All of these questions are going to change us. And technology today is already changing us in ways that, that is so incredibly uh, fascinating, right? We can live longer. We can um, treat ourselves at home using non-invasive technology. That sounds like complete science fiction today but we have access to it and, and it's pretty wonderful, right? So, so all of this change has an ethical um, question mark on top of it. Is it ethical to play God with the future of us? Um, is it, um, it, what is the place of the government in all of this? What is the place of privacy? So all of these questions that surround design and why we change things and why we make things better is so incredibly important for us to, to answer as we design. You're talking about the design of civilization and mm -hmm. humans as we congregate, as we live together. Yeah, what kinds of communities right, thrive better regardless of scenario of where they're gonna be. So you're looking at, it's interesting, it's fascinating. We're talking about future, but yet it's applicable, that analysis is applicable today. I'm curious with both of you, in the last two years, you know, so much has changed as a result of this pandemic. And you touched on this phenomenon, and certainly our value systems have changed, right? Just, we're not even talking just the design industry, but people across the world, um, both I think from a recruiter and a, a career coach standpoint, watching and seeing how massive numbers, percentages of people unplugging from where they were career-wise to just where we're facing the the war for talent, there's the big quit going on, people finding, you know, deciding where um, where they wanna be next in their lives. And you two, I think have followed your passion consistently, um, but just also just curious from your perspective, what have you guys noticed of what's shifted and how that might've changed what you're focusing on, whether there are more people interested now in education, right? Phenom, you're, you're already there in that topic. And certainly that pandemic has helped us realize how valuable teachers are and how, as a parent, actually, let me just fully, you know, with an eight-year-old, the things that I went through and realizing how, how valuable on the front lines, education, you know, beyond other things like healthcare workers and, you know, restaurants and the service staff industry. I mean, realizing how different roles are so valuable. I think Phnom touched on it a little bit when she was saying how, we're all human. Um, I think our, our needs as humans have, has not changed at its core, but maybe the human experience has of course changed and like the individual human's ability and like comfort with being bold and saying like, this is what I need um, or a group saying, this is what we need. Um, I think people mm -hmm. have found more courage to say that and found more tools to broadcast that in more effective ways. Uh, you know, so if things were different, I bet you uh, cancel culture, world culture, um, the big quit, uh, things that happen on social media, all these things would happen, could have happened at any point. It's just like now certain technologies and conditions and uh, emotions have, you know, intersected in a lot of these things that happened. Um, and I think that's always going to be the case that, you know, certain things are trending now and certain things are going to be trending later, but it's always going to boil down to humans. It's always going to boil down to pretty fundamental needs of survival, um, fulfillment, um, productive employment, uh, community, universal things. And space is no different. It's like, you take everything that we've spent thousands of years evolving, quick, let's move it up into space. So there's a huge leap and then let's do it again, <laughs> which is really exciting, really, really exciting. But that's what also makes it deeply exciting is that we're not reinventing the wheel. We can build 
on, on what we've done before. So like our society doesn't get replicated, it gets improved, it gets advanced and, um, and more people can do it. So like the opportunity is broader. It's not just for like one country or for a select group of people or under 600 astronauts. Like it could be thousands of people. It could be tens of thousands of uh, individual job roles. And so that, that's what excites me. That what keeps me from moving place to place is to continue to sort of like connect with that next level evolution um, of civilization, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> what I love about um, what, what we're going through right now, I mean, obviously there's the sad aspect of it, people dying and lots of turmoil everywhere, but um, it forces people to have an existential crisis um, as individuals or as groups and questioning why we do things and putting them in front of ourselves with authenticity and, and, and transparency is, is a healthy exercise that we all have to go through. Even if you think you have the best job in the world, even if you think you, you have reached the pinnacle of where you should be in life, why are you here? Who helped you? What is the purpose of everything you're doing? All of these questions you know, are here to answer what is your life purpose? Is it the same as it was five, 10 years ago? Are you actually just supporting yourself or are you supporting other people along the way? Um, and, and, and I've seen it in 2008 when it happened, um, not, not a pandemic, but an economic collapse. Um, I've seen all of these companies making useless widgets, kind of like going away a little bit. You're like, oh, we just like let go of a bunch of people. And then all these companies who have been waiting for the right time to do the right thing, um, you know, when it comes to come to social impact or uh, sustainability or um, pushing an industry beyond what it's been doing for the last hundred years, um, that was fantastic to see. And and I'm expecting it to be like this. You know, it started already this year, and it's is going to amplify next year. Um, and, and the space industry is one of those industries that kind of started before that, of course, with, with the emergence of the private uh, sector, but, but it's amplified with, you know, what Virgil just talked about, the, the, the international aspect of, of, of welcoming other people from other countries that you don't necessarily think about could be uh, nesting innovation, could be breeding um, new generations of uh, innovators and thinkers and doers, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have this secret goal in my mind. Uh, I've shared it a couple of times, but I like my goal here is to make Silicon Valley completely obsolete. And I want other countries to, to, to help me with that because the problem with here is that it's so incredibly easy to be successful doing the same stuff again and again. I mean, look at design for the most part, it's like the same five shapes, the same 15 materials. And I'm like, okay, so what? Integrating culture, inclusion, you know, diversity into thought that turns into uh, solutions that change people's lives, that enrich the way we communicate with each other or, 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 or relate to the environment, environments that we design for ourselves. That's, that's so much more interesting. And, and, and I've been witnessing this a lot in the last few years, more and more people with completely unique points of view that sound, sound like they come from a different planet is so interesting to listen to, are here to inspire all of us to think a little bit outside the box and think very far in the future. And, and go back far in time so we can get inspiration from the wisdom of the past. Um, and, and all of that is, is, is what I want to see more of in the next few years. I love that. Can we go there? Can we go to your future? <laughs> Seriously, yeah. we're um, there. Let's make there. that happen. In Phenom, it's no longer a secret <laughs> now. I hope you know. <laughs> there you it's, go. Out. it's out there now. Um, I, uh, Angela, if I can say, mention something there that, that popped in my head, um, it always comes back to words for me. So a lot of people think of the word mundane as this like negative term. Uh, if you look it up, right, it just says that it just means of the world, mundo, like our planet. And I, I want 
space and, and pick another word, anything innovative and cool. I want it to be mundane. I want it to be that anyone, thousands, millions of people can, can contribute and achieve something that feels today very innovative or experience it, maybe, you know, do it, achieve it, contribute to it, whatever. I want that to feel mundane. I want space travel just to be like calling an Uber. I want um, food from a machine that magically spits out anything I wanted to just, oh, look at that. Here's my hamburger, whatever. Moving on. I want it to feel like by ordering off of Amazon today, which like is relatively mundane, if not like, you know, far more than mundane. And because that would mean we have advanced, we've democratized um, access to this kind of innovation. Like we haven't just like held it for ourselves and met it, met it, met it out to people in, in a very sparing way. Like, I don't think it should be that way. Um, I want this to be commoditized uh, because that means we've advanced onto even better problems uh, to go after. I kind of feel like we're going into existential conversation here, right? Realizing you're, are you designing for one or are you designing for all or community, right? The duality of what one needs versus what the community needs. And, and, and actually that, that subject is very yeah. important in, in the place of design today. Are we designing for one? Or are we designing for all? Uh, the integration of machine learning, AI, all of that allows us to create products for each person in each moment um, based on their needs, right? We, we, at Nonfiction, we designed a fairly large number of brain stimulators uh, for, for all the indications you can think about. And um, because of that, we, we have learned what we can read from the body, from each body and what they need and, and give it to them the next day, right? And, 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 I, and I cannot wait for the rest of design to act like this, right? Um, when you design consumer electronics, for example, for, for mass production, um, you kind of design for the, for the average, you know, the, for, for a long time, designing for the 50th percentile male um, user was the way to go. And then we realized that, well, that doesn't really work for people with smaller hands, smaller heads. It doesn't really work for people of color. It doesn't really work for X, Y, Z. And, and so this whole subject of inclusion uh, and bias has come up for good reasons because exclusion doesn't, doesn't, doesn't include by definition uh, people uh, in, in, uh, in the wave of innovation that we wanna put out there. So, so working for everyone while being able to make money at it is the equation that that's you know is is that that everybody wants but how do you get there right it's not by closing yourself to technology it's not by closing yourself to you know, business models that make sense versus the ones that don't you have to collaborate you have to answer those hard questions you have to test everything thoroughly and be ready to have that idea be obsolete within two years that is the world we work in, we work in, and that's why we need more designers to to work this way and to be curious, and and to work both on the technical side and the the magical side of design, and really go back and forth between the two because otherwise we're just going to get stuck in this in this place where we have different types of designers. That's something I've noticed a lot. There are yeah. designers who are like very focused on one aspect of design and some others on, on other aspects. And, and there's this, I don't know if it's ego based or whatever, but there's no communication between the two, right? And, and that's dangerous, right? Um, and, mm -hmm. and education should, should get us there perhaps. It's interesting. You just said something phenomenal. It's like the you were just making a you were making a comment about the engineering side and the magical side. The human I intend that to be the human side, the aesthetics, the creative, right? That is the human side that just makes this our, our civilization so unique. The combination to be able to understand both sides. I, I have to say though, for your comment about yeah, there are designers. I think that. I think this industry is growing so big that you will need people who are going to be sub sub specialists, you know, uh, like the medicine, medical industry where you have someone that's just pulmonology or podiatry or uh, cardiology. And then you'll have your generalists, like the, the people who are going to, the way it's interesting, the notion of generalists does not sound so high level, right? But there's someone that's crossing the boundaries and connecting those different silos. Um, 
it's just a, you know, a thought to, I think this industry will need different kinds of creative professionals, different kinds of designers, some like you guys that can cross the chasm and some that specialize deep, deep in those areas. It's just, there's a lot of room for everyone. I just loved the conversation, how we went from future to today and how those technologies that you guys are seeing or you're bringing them back to um, now um, and uh, talk about self designing for self or all. I wonder if designing for the mundane for everyone, I wonder if that's, is that the ultimate design, right? Where first pass, first draft, first sketch is just for one kind of customer or segment and then to realize that we need to advance that to you know customize to everyone it's too much it's all good stuff i love this oh my god i could go on forever for this stuff thank you guys for bringing this conversation and coming here today thank you phenom virgil uh i can't wait to see what you guys do next uh certainly we'll be following you actually for everyone listening where can they follow you and um, keep track of new frontier that you guys are opening up into, whether it's right in our backyard or somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, uh, you can follow us there. Our website is nonfiction.design. And Virgil, how about you? I'm these days becoming a technological Luddite, so you can follow me in person if you can find me. Um, I am on LinkedIn, uh, you know, and I have a, a, my, my website, kellahessen.com, but don't go there. It's old. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 like, I like emails and letters. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys for this conversation. Is there, is there anything else that you guys wanted to add to the conversation or share that we didn't touch on? There's so much. Honestly, I could talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, clearly, there will be a part two. <laughs> Virgil, what were you going to say? I would say almost that. Keep the conversation going. Without these conversations, we don't ask the questions. We don't create the forums to actually say like, hey, are we doing the right thing? And then here's some ideas to do something differently. They often happen in conversation. Uh, and so I think uh, that's useful. Yeah, one thing that's that's I think is in common uh, between Virgil and I is that we constantly question ourselves, right? I, I'm going to make that assumption yeah. about you, Virgil. It's like, you know, sure, we, we've gotten some successes here and there, but like, what is next? What is better? What is more responsible? Mm -hmm. What's, what is, touches more souls? What, all of these questions hit us every day every night it's it's almost an obsession at this point but it is so incredibly necessary to the health of the future of our industry i love it thank you thank you for inspiring us and sharing your journey thanks thank guys. you angela bye thank you bye. Bye.